Uh, we want to go to 1 Corinthians 12 because we want to continue in this teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we taught last week by way of introduction, looking extensively at the first few verses. And so this evening, I want us again to start with verse 4, and we'll see how far we get in our teaching this evening. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now if you'll come down to verse 12, you'll see where it says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into this. Father, we thank you that you have called all of us to the kingdom for such a time as this. All of us have a membership in the body of Christ, if we are true believers. And at the same time, Lord, we all have a ministry. And we pray as we look into this that you'll speak to all of our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. We, we want to remind you that the first third of this chapter deals with manifestations of the spirit then the next third of the chapter deals with the body the human body as a representation of the body of Christ so your physical body with everything from the eyes the ears the fingers the legs the arms the joints the way God designed the body is that when it grows Every organ, every member has its own function. That, mean, that means that the joints in the elbow can never do what the joints in the kneecap are able to do. And your leg will never perform the function of an ear. All of us, when we come into the kingdom of God and are born again, the Lord provides us with specific endowments and gifts, and blessings. Very often, though, we don't discover what many of these gifts and things are unless we really are actively pursuing God to, to understand this. It's the same thing with the human body. We take breathing for granted. Most of us don't walk around each day trying to figure out how many breaths we take or how much blood is pumped through the body by the heart. And it's the same way with most Christians when it comes to demonstrations of the Spirit and manifestations of the Spirit. They don't even consider how these things operate, whether or not they're important at all. We just kind of live our lives without uh, worrying about them. Well, verse 4 tells us there are diversities of gifts. That means various kinds, but it's the same Spirit. Then verse 5, we told you there are differences of administrations. It's another way of saying ministries, the way these things are governed and operated by the Holy Spirit. And then again, verse 6, diversities of operations or activities. 
So within verse 4, 5, and 6, we have the triune Godhead at work. He's talking about the Spirit, talking about our Lord, and certainly talking about God, the Father, for sure, who's working in all. But I want you to understand that in verse 7, when it talks about the manifestation of the Spirit, it is explaining to us these are not natural talents. We're not talking about somebody who can run the, the 100 meters or 110 or 220 or whatever, 440. We're not talking about someone who is just naturally smart. These aren't going to help you with the SAT per se, but these are supernatural activities and manifestations that come to the believer from the Holy Spirit. And this word manifestation in verse 7 talks about something put on display, an exhibition of a power of God in a human vessel. Now we know from the book of Genesis all the way up to this point, God is able to move beyond the natural laws. This is how Jesus is able to walk on water. That would be a working of miracles. This is how Jesus was able to multiply the loaves of bread and the fishes. Again, working of miracles. When Jesus went to the man who was at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years and said, do you want to be made whole? Take up your bed. And the man was healed. Manifestation of a gift of healing. When Jesus said to the madman of Gadara, who was full of those demons, come out of him. And when he asked him, how many of you are there? He said, the demons said, we are many. Legion is, is my name. That was a manifestation of discerning of spirits. If God opens up someone's eyes to see an angel, demons, that's certainly a manifestation of the discerning of spirits. The Holy Ghost is the one who is in charge of all of these. He distributes them as he desires. Uh, you'll notice in verse 11 that is exactly what it says. But all these work at that one self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. I can't give you one of these. I can't take one of these away from you. You can't give these to anybody. If the Spirit of God doesn't impart these directly, then a person's not going to have it. And you'll know when they don't have it, when they try to operate in something supernatural and nothing happens. See? But if God is involved and God is behind it, then good things will, will come out of it. These manifestations will be in the church until the Lord comes. Until the Lord comes. Now look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. It says, God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, I think anybody that you asked if uh, there are still ministries of helps in the church, they would say yes. If you ask someone today, are there still teachers in the church, they would say yes. But it's these other things that would cause them a few problems because if they don't understand them, then they certainly aren't going to pursue them. And the lack of their pursuit means there won't be a manifestation of them. So, so think of it this way. In medieval times, 
when the Bible said in Latin, you must be born again. Regeneration was still possible for anyone who believed the scriptures. But at the time, because the church in Europe kept the Bible in Latin, in many cases, chained to the pulpit, and the average layperson was unable to read Latin, you didn't have a whole lot of people that were born again. People honestly thought if you were born to someone who was a part of the church, or if someone baptized you into the church, then quite naturally then, you were a member of the church. But you read the scripture, then you realize that a person's faith is what determines their entrance into the kingdom and determines their membership in the body of Christ. Now I'm saying that because even though there were hundreds of years and thousands of people who didn't know that being born again was in the Bible, it was still here. It was still written. And all it took was somebody to actually read the text. If you listen to preachers today and they say something to you like, well, I just think with the death of the last apostle that all of these things ceased, then my question would be, why would the Spirit of God's ministry be limited to the last apostle? There were thousands of people that heard Jesus teach while he was here. And some of them were still alive after the last apostle died. So why would God cease to function and operate in a supernatural way just because an apostle died? That would be like saying if one of you fell over dead tonight, God's never going to answer another prayer. Well, I mean, you are important and we would miss you and we would shed some tears, but we would bury you and then pray again because we're expecting God to continue what he's done. So returning to 1 Corinthians 12 and looking at verse number 7 again, the Spirit of God brings the manifestation, and you can see it's available and given to every man to bring profit. We're not talking about monetary blessing. We're talking about the edification of the entirety of the body of Christ. In particular, the local church in Corinth. They're the ones asking these questions. Paul is trying to answer these questions for them. So he gives some detail and he starts to enumerate these different gifts. And he says of the first one here in verse 8, there's a word of wisdom. Now what is wisdom? Wisdom is the right application or skillful use of knowledge. Now let's back up and go to 1 Corinthians 1 and let's observe 1 Corinthians 1 where in verse 17 Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel not with the wisdom of words. Note the word wisdom. Look at verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Look at verse 24. For unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Well, look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing these words, wisdom, in these different chapters, 
Because when you read 1 Corinthians 1 all the way on up through 1 Corinthians 12, the same Greek word used for wisdom in the early chapters is the exact same term used in 1 Corinthians 12. We're talking about the, the, the right application and use of knowledge. And God's wisdom is so great and so perfect and wonderful that any time he uses it, wisdom always affects a future outcome. It always affects the future, the wisdom of God. You say, you say how is that? Well, let's look by way of example at 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Back there in the Old Testament where your pages are stuck together, you'll find a story in 1 Kings 3 where Solomon went to sleep and in verse 5, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to him in a dream, Solomon, ask, what shall I give you? What is it that you want me to give you? That's 1 Kings 3, 5. So in verse 6, Solomon said, you've shown your servant David, my father, great mercy. And he goes on talking about his father and how he loved him and everything. So Solomon comes along and he says to the Lord in verse 9, Give me an understanding heart to judge your people that I can discern between good and bad. That's his prayer in the dream. He's asking for understanding and wisdom. And the Lord said in verse 11, Because you didn't ask for a long life or for riches, I'm going to give you all of those things plus a discerning heart. And in verse 12, he says, I'm giving you uh, an understanding heart and you will be wise. And you know as well as I do that he became the wisest person of his time. Well, verse 15 says he woke up. All of this came in a dream. This was a dream that he had and the Lord appeared to him, granted his request. So now he has an opportunity to operate in the wisdom of God because there came before him right after that two harlots, two ladies who gave themselves in service to various men. Both of them had a baby. One of the babies died in the middle of the night and one lady took her dead baby and switched the baby that the other lady had that was still alive. Well, this thing got so bad, and I'm sure the fight was definitely breaking out between the two moms, that it came before Solomon, and they asked the king to judge between our situation. And in verse 23, the king said, uh, the one has the... The baby saying that this is my son that lived and your son is dead. The other says, no, but your son is dead. My son lives. So here's how King Solomon was going to solve it. King said, bring me a sword. They brought the king a sword. He said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. And then, verse 26, the woman whose the living child was said to the king because her bowels yearned for her son. She said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child. See, she was willing to sacrifice her own rights to her child to let the child live. The other child said, the other mother said, absolutely not. Kill him. And that's how Solomon knew. 
But see, God had to give him the wisdom at that moment for that circumstance to know how to handle it. And that's what a word of wisdom resembles. God doesn't give you all the information that he possesses, but he gives you the wisdom for the particular event or activity that you're involved with at that moment. So how did that wisdom affect the futurity or the future of the child? Because of, Abraham, because of Solomon's wisdom, the baby lived. You see, the baby lived. And when God gives you a word of wisdom, it has everything to do with your future. Because if you know what to do with knowledge, then it's going to affect how you live your life. Uh, another illustration would be if, uh, if you were outside and it was raining and you had enough sense to bring an umbrella with you, the umbrella doesn't do you any good if you don't open the thing, you see. But if you do open the thing and you walk across the street, then what the umbrella does is preserve you so that you're kept dry. So moments later, you're still dry because of a decision you made over here in the present. So when Paul is talking about to one is given the word of wisdom, to some believers, God will tell you exactly what to do. What to do. Now it says the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man. However God wants to do this, he can. But certainly uh, 1 Corinthians 14 makes it very plain that we should pursue the gifts like we pursue love. And if you really want God to, to activate or, or get the word of wisdom at work in your life, then you ought to be concerned about this, think about this, pray about this, and ask God to manifest this in your life. I think this would save us from a lot of bad decisions. You know, some decisions we make that are bad, it takes us a long time to recover from it. You understand that? You can make two or three bad decisions and it'll take you a decade to recover from it. Just two or three. In, end up in terrible debt. End up in a terrible predicament, sickness. End up in a terrible place living far away. End up in a terrible situation with this or that. And a word of wisdom can come, and in a flash, you have the answer. And God, God helps you. Now, the next one mentioned in verse 8 is the word of knowledge. Now, what is knowledge? Information, data, facts. We don't have all the knowledge. But First Samuel 2, verse 3, when Hannah was praying, she said of God, He is the Lord of knowledge. So God knows about everything that has to do with past, present, and future. He knows about yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There is no knowledge that is existing in this earth that he isn't familiar with. I don't care what kind of body of knowledge you talk about. Geology, biology, anthropology. He knows about all of them. Now what he's able to do is supernaturally impart his mind to a Christian so that that Christian would have the insight that God has on this particular situation. God doesn't give you everything that he knows because we won't always be good stewards of the information that he gives us. But if we prove to be good stewards over what he gives us, then the Bible teaches to whom much is given, 
Much is required. He that's faithful over little, he'll make them rulers over what? Much. So the increase comes because of our faithfulness. Now how then does a word of knowledge come to a person? Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts chapter 10. And this typically is knowledge that you don't possess but comes to you in a divine way. Acts chapter 10, you can see in verse 1, there's a soldier by the name of Cornelius who is an Italian man. He, or at least he's certainly of the Italian army. You can see in verse 2, he's a devout man and he fears God and he gives money to people. But we know from Peter's later testimony, the man isn't born again. So he's a sinner. And he has good works and good deeds. But in verse 3, he has a vision. And in the vision, an angel comes and tells him to send for someone that's in Joppa. That's verse 5. He's talking about Peter. Now, how did the angel know where Peter was? Because he's an angel. He knows supernatural things. And he possesses supernatural knowledge. So in this vision, he's sharing some of what he knows with Cornelius. What does Cornelius do? Because the angel even told Cornelius in verse 6 who Peter was with, where the house was located. In verse 7, Cornelius, believing the angel, called two of his servants and sent them to where the angel told him to go. So here was knowledge that Cornelius didn't have before the vision, before the, the presence of the angel came to him. So while he's doing that, Peter is up on a rooftop in that place. And you can see in verse 11, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven open and he had a vision. And in his vision, he sees this big sheet with all of these different kinds of animals that under the Old Testament law were considered unclean. And the Lord said to him, get up and eat this stuff. And he said, oh, I can't do that. This stuff is, is unclean. And what the Lord was showing him in that vision through symbolism was that you're going to have to be able to preach the gospel to people that you don't think deserve to hear the gospel. That's what Peter's about to quickly learn. Because once this vision was done, he saw it three times. Once it was done, and in verse 17, you can see he was doubting what it was all about. But verse 19... The spirit of the Lord spoke to Peter on the rooftop and said, three men are looking for you. Get up and go with them. See, he's on the rooftop. How would he know how many people are downstairs? How would he even know the gender of the people that are downstairs? The spirit of God had to speak directly to his heart, impart that knowledge for him to walk down there at that time and know. So that's a word of knowledge. Just like it came to Cornelius in the vision Words of knowledge came to uh, Mr. Peter in the dream here. Now, there are several different places throughout the Bible we could show you. Again, uh, there's the illustration with Elisha. And you remember one of the kings of the other nations wanted to come against Israel. And every time the king tried to put his troops in order to come against Israel, then Israel outmaneuvered them. And then after several occasions of this, the man... 
the, the king, he got his generals and said, would somebody please tell me who in the world is the Benedict Arnold around here that's betraying us because we can't get the upper hand on Israel. And one of the men said to him, sir, none of us, none of us are betraying you. They got a man of God over there in that country by the name of Elisha. And God is telling him everything you're telling us in your bedroom. So that's how he knows. How would Elisha know that except the Spirit of God revealed it? A word of knowledge. God can reveal things connected with yesterday. He can reveal things connected with what's going on right now. And he can reveal things connected with the future. That's what prophecy is about. It's not history in progress. It's history foretold. That's what prophecy is. God knows the end from the beginning, and he can tell us what is going to happen, as Daniel did, prophesied about the Messiah being cut off, or, or, or Micah prophesying about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, or Zechariah uh, prophesying and talking to us about the things related to the end time. Over and over again, God has imparted a little bit of knowledge. Now, now lest you think that these kind of things only happen in, uh, in ancient times. You need to know God, God's still communicating with people today. And so even after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, you can read the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, and it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is what? Say. That's present tense. It didn't say what the Spirit of God said, but what he's saying. So the Lord, he desires to speak, and he is speaking. He needs a people that have an ear to hear what he's saying. Uh, God has a lot of ways to communicate, but let's, let's never forget, Genesis through Revelation contain enough of the mind of God for us to make it from earth to heaven. And this is inspired, this is infallible, and the Spirit of God will bring to your remembrance all things that the Lord has said. But it also says in the Gospel of John that he will speak to you of things to come. That's what it says. Well, the book has a whole lot of things about the past and a whole lot of things there in the present. But also we need to hear uh, from God when it comes to uh, things in our own individual lives. And you have to be willing for these kind of divine interruptions if God breaks in. What if God comes to you in a dream and talks to you? What if the Lord's trying to communicate with you in a dream and, and you ignore that? See, I often use this. If you're a mom or a dad and you go to sleep and you wake up and, and you, you know, you're just kind of startled because you just had a long dream and in that dream you saw one of your kids in a coffin... Or just had an accident? And, and you sit straight up in the bed? Maybe, maybe that's God trying to let you know that you need to pray for your kids. See? Yeah. And, and intercede for them and, and pray that, that God would stop whatever the adversary may be trying to do. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a big God. I mean, dreams didn't stop when, when the book of Revelation was written. People still go to sleep at night and dream. Everything isn't related to pizza, folks. I mean, God is still trying to communicate and, and, and get people's attention. Okay, so one time when, when I was trying to get out of the military, trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to go to Arabic school, and 
And, and I did the craziest thing in, in my early 20s. I, I knew that there was a man over in Amman, Jordan, and I just didn't know how to get to him. Didn't know where he lived, didn't have a phone number or anything like that. So I decided I was going to fly from Istanbul, Turkey, to Amman, Jordan, to this big, huge city. And I only had 96 hours off. That's four days. I had 96 hours off from my vacation. And I just said, Lord, I'm going to fly all the way to this foreign country and believe you're going to help me find a needle in a haystack. One man in a big city. So I landed, got to the, the uh, American embassy. When I got there, the USIS section, United States Information Services section, was closed. Because normally you can get information on American citizens that are living in that area. Well, it was closed. So the Marines took me to the Marine house, and I went into that uh, bedroom they gave me, and I told them I wasn't eating tonight. I said, I'm just going to go in here and just pray and fast, and so I did. I went there, pulled my Bible. I sat down on the floor, started reading the Bible, and said, Lord, I've only got a few hours where I can find this man. I've got about 90 hours now to find this one man. So I read so long that I started getting sleepy. Then I just kind of laid on my back on that floor and was praying, saying, God, I need some help. I need some direction, and I fell asleep. So while I was asleep, I, I had a dream, and uh, in the dream, I saw myself talking with somebody who said, you got here just in time because I'm getting ready to leave, go back to America on a furlough, and, and uh, you know, you need to make the phone call. So that, that's kind of what the dream was. You got here just in time, he's getting ready to leave, going back to the States on his furlough. He'll, he'll talk with you. Well, when I woke up, in my heart, I just had a burden to call a lady that I knew that lived in Izmir in Turkey. Izmir in the Bible is called Smyrna. And so I called this lady, Angie, and I said, you're not going to believe where I am. I said, I'm over here in Jordan trying to find this man, George Kelsey. Would you happen to know anything about this man? And she said, well, I went to school with his daughter in Lebanon. And she said, I don't know his number, but I, I know the number of my friend who's there in Jordan. And he, she might be able to put you in contact with him. So I said, okay, give me that number. She gave me the number. And, and then I called that lady. And that lady said, well, you know, you, you got here just in time to reach him because he's getting ready to leave. He's leaving tomorrow, going to America. And he's going to be on furlough for about six months or so. I said, okay, she gave me the number. I called George Kelsey. I said, Dr. Kelsey, you don't know me. I'm a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps, but I'm here, and I'm trying to gain some information about your school. I'd like to attend the school. And he listened to me go through all of that, and he said, well, young man, you got me just in time because I leave tomorrow going back to America. So if you just get a driver, bring you on over here. I can talk to you all about it. So that's what I did. But all that came out of a dream, out of a dream. You don't know what God will say unless you take the time to pray and ask the Lord to speak to you. Now, on a, uh, another uh, good, good illustration of this would be when uh, I was traveling and preaching, and, and I think I might have been out on the West Coast, I can't remember now, but Tiffany had had a dream, and, and in this dream, there's a lady that was in the church, and this lady was living in adultery. And so Tiffany had a dream, and in that dream, she's following this woman around the house. 
and she watches the woman go into the bedroom and do her thing, you know, with, with her lover or whatever. And so then, of course, she wakes up. So she calls me and she says, you know, uh, here's what I dream. How, how are we going to handle this? What do, you, what do you think I ought to do? I said, well, you already know if, uh, if you go to her and you bring this up, she's going to immediately deny it and say, it's not God. But I said, you don't have a choice but to go and ask and talk. And so sure enough, Tiff went and uh, spoke with this individual and the individual was in denial immediately about it and said she wasn't doing anything at all. But come to find out later on, she was not only committing adultery, but was pregnant, you see. But God shows it not to embarrass, not to harm, but to try to help. See? Because if the individual would have responded to how God was trying to help recover them from the snare of sin, it could have saved their marriage, you see. A lot of times God will do what he can to try to preserve people and the gifts of the spirit are given to edify and to bless and to encourage people. Now, Tiff didn't know this person was involved with that. She could not have known this person was involved with that. But he is able to reveal things we don't know. There's no, no doubt about it. And, and as a pastor... I can tell you there's been a whole lot of things I've seen, and they haven't always been bad. You know, I've, I've seen when God was calling people into the ministry before they ever even got up and taught their first lesson. I saw it sometimes. I, I've seen uh, where uh, sometimes a person was getting ready to move, and they didn't know it. Uh, one time down at Brother Swaggart's, I remember uh, one of the, the singers, the lead singer. He used to be in charge of the praise team down there. I was on an airplane flying to somewhere on the airplane. Had a dream. This man was out in a garden or something and he's pulling up turnips or something by their roots and as he's picking them up he's putting them in a knapsack and he's walking away and I could tell he was going on a long journey. So when I got back to Baton Rouge after my meetings I went up to my friend Daryl same name as me. I said Daryl I said when are you leaving? He said, what are you talking about? I said, when, when are you leaving? I said, God showed me this dream when I was on the airplane and you're getting ready to leave. And he pulled me aside real fast and said, man, don't nobody know I'm leaving. And sure enough, he did. He moved. He moved to, to uh, Dallas, Texas, and then went and became a singer for T.D. Jakes. See, he, 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 he moved. So, so God is able to reveal things. God is able to show things. And when he does... We're responsible to respond to that. See, we, we, we have to respond to that. So coming back to 1 Corinthians 12 then, notice in, in verse number 9, it says to another faith by the same Spirit. So, so far we have the Holy Spirit distributing words of wisdom, words of knowledge, but now we see that faith can be imparted divinely to the human heart. Um, I probably should at least show you Romans 12, verse number 3, where Paul says, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, 
according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every man. Say those two words with me. Every man. See? Then every man the measure of faith. The measure of faith. Say that phrase with me. The measure of faith. The first time you heard the gospel, I don't know what your response was. I have no idea whether you immediately went under conviction and believed or whether you rejected that conviction and went in a different direction. But I do know that the capacity to believe comes from the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Wherever the power of the gospel is manifested, the power of conviction is present. Wherever the power of conviction is present, the ability to repent and believe is present. And wherever someone will repent and believe, the power of a new life comes, comes into manifestation, new birth. So the first time faith ever functioned in your life, you believed in God to be Christian. But let's go now to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at this in, a, in another light then. Ephesians 4, and notice what it says in verse number 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now we just read about the measure of faith. And now we see in verse 7, there's something called the measure of the gift of Christ. And it says here, to every one of us is given grace. We just saw in Romans 12, where to every man is dwelt the measure of faith. Now we see that unto every one of us is given grace. So look at Ephesians 2 verse Number eight, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So a measure of faith, a measure of grace, and all of these are, or both of these are distributed by the Holy Spirit. So then what is a manifestation of faith in a believer's life? Well, you, you pass through certain tests, trials, temptations, difficulties, challenges, obstacles, but the Spirit of God is able to supply you with the confidence and trust that you need for that specific trial, and you have no doubt at all. Now, you might have worries about other things, but for this particular issue here, you know that God's going to work that out. That's, that's the measure of faith that God supplies at different times in our Christian life. And when that faith is manifested, there's just nobody that can push you in another direction. That's why when you talk to some people who are, are facing some bad news, maybe a doctor gave them, and you can tell them ten stories about people in your family that passed away, or, or five stories about people that had struggles and difficulties, but yet there's something in them that just has them trusting confidently that God's going to bring them through that. And they're not going to change. And you can talk until you're blue in your face. They are not going to change. And it's the same thing with some people when it comes to trusting God for finances. They just believe God's going to work it out. Or somebody's looking and trusting God for a job. Everybody's nervous and, well, you know, it's just, not a, it's just not a good economy and good time for looking for a job. But yet there's somebody who honestly believes God is big enough to show me favor and open a door for me. Now, they may struggle with this and doubt this aspect of life and may have anxiety over this. But when it comes to God supplying them with employment, they know God's got this. 
And that's a measure of faith that the Lord provides. And once he supplies that, then just keep walking with the king and don't let anybody disturb you. you know. In our early years, Tiffany and I gave away several, several vehicles and uh, was blessing different people. And, and the, the one thing I, I never have had an anxiety about was God providing monies for us as, uh, as Christians, as preachers. I always believed if I preached the gospel and I prayed and I sought God and did what I was supposed to do, he'll, he'll supply everything I need to have. And it's always been that way. They, they, they had, it's not to say there hadn't been challenges and stuff like that, but we always knew God was going to work it out. So faith, then, is something you can't conjure up just on your own. Now, faith is a fruit in many aspects. That's Galatians. So you are to do what you can to use the word to place the seed inside of you to produce faith that increases and grows. But there is a special supply of faith that can be distributed by the Holy Spirit because of the grace of God. And it comes into your life like a power surge. And you just believe. And you trust. And you know that, that it's going to work out. And, and I think in, in many ways, that is the foundation to some of the supernatural things you see in the book of Acts. When Peter is, excuse me, Paul is preaching in Acts chapter 14. In verse 7, it says, there he preached the gospel. And then he, he was preaching and he looked and he saw a man that was lame in his feet, crippled. And it says, Paul looked at his face and saw that he had faith. So, so that tells you that you, you, can, you can see in people's countenance sometimes whether or not they believe what you're saying. Yeah, I've been teaching before and had, had people just looking at me and just kind of doing this and rolling their eyes and, and whatever. I'm not, they're not receiving anything, but that's not going to stop me from casting the seed. See? Now, now the other people will receive and be blessed by, by what is being taught, but the one that's rolling their eyes and don't really care, they're not getting anything out of it. I just keep teaching, keep talking. I don't worry about that. But Paul saw that man. He saw that he had faith to be healed. And here's what Paul said to him. Rise and stand on your feet. And the man got up and was healed. Well, you've got to have faith to tell a crippled person to stand up. Because if you don't have faith, it won't work out. I think it was at one of these uh, political conventions one time that uh, our current president had a whole bunch of people out there, and there was a man in the front in a wheelchair, and he said, come on, so-and-so, stand up and greet everybody and say hello. Well, I mean, the man was in a wheelchair, so he obviously was infirmed. He wasn't going to be able to get out of that, so that provided an embarrassing situation. But I can tell you this, God doesn't do anything to play with our emotions. If the power of God is in manifestation and somebody tells somebody to jump up, and uh, they're made whole, you'll know it because the power of God is there. But if nothing is happening, that's going to look bad too. Yeah, and I've, I've been in meetings where I've seen people try to pull folks out of wheelchairs. I'm telling you, it doesn't look good at all. It's a, it's a terrible circumstance because you feel bad for the person who's in the wheelchair, then you feel bad uh, for the person who's trying to do it because they're trying to make themselves you know, stronger than, than what, they, what they are. So, so I'm trying to emphasize that the presence and the power of God is a reality. And when God imparts faith into your heart, 
for certain circumstances that you're passing through or about to pass through, you're not going to have any worries or anxieties about it. You know God has this. Yeah, he, he can do that. And so we have in 1 Corinthians 12 then these three that we just looked at. Word of wisdom, right application of knowledge. Word of knowledge has to do with all kinds of information from past, present, future, and then supernatural trust and confidence that comes to people. And, and God, God will do it for you, folks. He'll, he'll do it for you. When Peter was at the gate called Beautiful, and that man was there who was crippled, and that man was begging for money, and Peter said, look at us. Come on, looking at him and Peter and John. He said, look at us. And that man looked up there, and Peter said, we don't have any silver and gold. See, not a, not a whole lot of preachers today couldn't say that. But, but Peter, he said, we don't have any silver and gold. But here's what we do have. Such as we have, we give you. Grab that man, said, rise up in the name of Jesus. And he grabbed him, and as soon as he grabbed him, it says his ankle bones were strengthened. So there's a power that flowed from heaven through Peter into that man that healed that man and he was made whole. But Peter had to have faith to believe in that instant that God would even do it. Otherwise, why stick your hand out there and even try it? Yeah, why even try it? And if you think about some of the things you've done in your life, when you look back now, you probably wondered, oh my goodness, I can't believe I had that kind of zeal. And you're probably more surprised that it actually worked out. Yeah, because I, I know I, I did a whole lot of crazy things in my 20s and, and, and early 30s. And I look back now and I wonder, oh my goodness, in my 50s, I wonder if I'd ever even try that now. You know, just, just weird things. The, the time I was in Egypt preaching and that, that old man was in that meeting and, and uh, had my interpreter. He's over here. I'm over here. And we got these long lines of people coming in front of us wanting prayer. And my interpreter goes out the back. I guess he went to relieve himself or something. But I just knew I was left alone in there with all these people. And I have this man that comes stands in front of me. And he had to be close to 70. Looked like he was from Sudan, Nigeria or something. Very, very dark skinned. And, and that man came and grabbed me around my arms and just started shaking me violently and lifted me right up off the ground, like five or six inches. And this, this, this guy, I'm looking at him because he's got one of those turbans on his head and got all that, that, that kind of Islamic-like dress on. And uh, his, you know, everybody's eye color, you know, your pupil, is hazel, green, blue, something like that. His wasn't anything like that, just the eye was milky white entirely, just milky white. That's all you could see. And, and, and as I'm looking at him, and I'm somewhat nervous, of course, he's shaking me. And I know everybody else is nervous because they're running all over the place trying to get out of there. And, and then just out of the blue, just, just out of the blue, I don't know if I just got angry or if, the, or, or if God just put something in my heart. I just broke away from that man, and I said, in the name of Jesus. And when I did, I broke away, fell on that ground, and he took off running down that center aisle. And little 20-something-year-old Daryl was right behind I, that man. I tackled him, threw him to the ground, 
flipped him over, put my big hands on his head, and said in the name of Jesus, come out of him right now. And God healed that man. And in that service, from that service, we had a beautiful revival for that family that I was preaching for. And many years later, when I went back with Tiffany to visit a friend of ours over there, Tiffany met that uh, interpreter that I had uh, with me for that, that meeting. But, you know, instances like that don't happen all the time. But I'm just saying that as a Christian, we have to be ready for whatever God does. And, and our expectation should always be that he's big enough and strong enough to do again what he did once before. Amen? Amen. No doubt. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the, the teachings of the scripture. And I pray that you would cause all of us to, to grow more in grace and in knowledge. And as we slowly work our way through these gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, let there be manifestations in our individual uh, ministries and lives. In our close walk with you, speak to all of us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. Anybody have any?